sound familiar? If your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little, I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh, it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. Approximately 15% of women suffer from postpartum depression each year, and that is only what is self-reported. This number is higher than the amount of women who will get diabetes, suffer a stroke, or get diagnosed with breast cancer in one year. A few months ago, we discussed the symptoms and triggers for postpartum depression. Today, we have invited back our expert, Kathleen Kendall-Tackett, to discuss breastfeeding-friendly treatments for postpartum depression. Kathleen Kendall-Tackett is a clinical associate professor of pediatrics at Texas Tech University School of Medicine in Amarillo, Texas, an international board-certified lactation consultant, and owner and editor-in-chief of Proclaris Press, a small press specializing in women's health. Today, we are discussing postpartum depression and breastfeeding-friendly treatments. This is The Boob Group, episode 87. Breast milk, it does a baby good. Silly daddy, boobs are for babies. I make milk. What's your superpower? If my breastfeeding offends you, put a blanket over your head. Dairy diva. Don't be lactose intolerant. Nursing nature's own breast enhancement. Meals on heels. Whoever said there's no use crying over spilled milk never had to pump. Breast milk. All udders are inferior. Whatever your point of view, we're here to support your breastfeeding goals. We're the Boob Group, because mothers know breast. Welcome to The Boob Group, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. The Boob Group is your weekly online, on-the-go support group for all things related to breastfeeding. I'm your host, Robin Kaplan. I'm also an International Board Certified Lactation Consultant and owner of the San Diego Breastfeeding Center. Did you know that you can find over 80 free episodes of The Boob Group on our website? Our topics range from treating sore nipples to tricks when breastfeeding in public to breastfeeding newborns, infants, and toddlers. And beyond, actually. Um, You can find Find also wonderfully written blog articles by our team of mommy bloggers. Don't miss out on all of these breastfeeding resources and please make sure to check out our website today. Today we are joined by four lovely panelists in this studio. So ladies, will you please introduce yourself? Corinne, you want to go ahead and get started? Sure. My name is Corinne. I'm 31 years old. I am an epidemiologist and I have one little girl, Abigail. She is four months old on Monday. Ah, congratulations. Um, Ashley, you want to go ahead? Hi, my name is Ashley. I'm going to be 24 pretty soon. Um, my daughter Zoe will be 10 months this month. Wonderful. And uh, Molly? My name is Molly. Um, I'm a teacher. Uh, I'm 32. I have two girls. One is Abigail. She is two and a half and Riley is eight months. Okay. And Krista? And I'm Krista. I'm 42. And I have a boy, age seven. And um, I'm a counselor. Wonderful. All right, ladies. Well, welcome to the show. Sound familiar? If your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little, 
I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh, it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. So here's a question for one of our experts. This is from Nicole Rogers. Okay, so I exclusively breastfeed no bottles or anything. I've always had more than enough milk. I'd notice a little dip around my cycle, but nothing a little mother's milk tea couldn't take care of. My daughter is seven months old, still nurses at night, and on demand, so plenty of breast stimulation. We occasionally give her baby food that I make myself, and I've been able to pump milk for that and still have enough for her. This past week, though, she's only been breastfeeding. I've also always had a strong letdown, but as of yesterday, I didn't feel the letdown at all, or if I do, it takes forever. My left side has always felt pretty full and all of a sudden is limp. My daughter seems to feel frustrated too, pushing on the breast, tugging on the nipple, and it just feels different. Nothing's changed, so what could be causing this? The thought I might be drying up is heartbreaking, and the thought of giving her formula just makes me stick to my stomach. Please help. Thank you, Nicole. Hi, Nicole. This is Andrea Blanco. I'm a lactation consultant out of South Florida. Uh, congratulations on seven months of breastfeeding. That is no small feat. If your baby is continuing to gain well, then the way the breasts feel may not be as important as it seems. Not all mothers experience feeling the letdown, and for those that do, the feeling often subsides over time, and this can vary from mother to mother. To be thorough, I would monitor baby's diapers, weight gain, and behavior, and, in, and if any of one of these things seems off, then I would explore possible hormonal causes, such as problems with your thyroid, uh, p- possible pregnancy, or even hormonal birth control that may be affecting your supply. This also includes the mini pill. You may find that the dip in supply associated with your period may be getting more pronounced. If that is the case, kellymom.com has a great protocol for low milk supply associated with menstruation. If those things are all found to be normal, then I would also look into how effectively the baby is able to transfer milk. Meeting with an IBCLC, an international board certified lactation consultant, who can help you rule out different causes for a sudden dip in supply will probably be your best bet. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on The Boob Group, we're discussing breastfeeding-friendly treatments for postpartum depression. Our expert, Kathleen Kendall-Tackett, is a health psychologist, international board-certified lactation consultant, and clinical associate professor of pediatrics at Texas... Texas Tech University School of Medicine in Amarillo, Texas. Kathy, that is very, that's a, that's a huge <laughs> mouthful. <Yeah. Sorry. laughs> no, I love it. Um, she is also the owner and editor-in-chief of Proclaris Press, a small press specializing in women's health as well as 
the author of Depression and New Mothers, Second Edition. Thank you for joining us, Kathy, and welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, Robin. So, Kathy, before we discuss treatments for postpartum depression, can you help us differentiate between the symptoms of postpartum depression and baby blues? Well, it really is kind of I, just a, mad, a matter of severity. Um, the postpartum blues, kind of by definition, are ones that sort of self-write within a couple of weeks. And you typically kind of see moms, you know, anywhere in that sort of first week, all of a sudden they, they feel very weepy, they feel sort of very sad, maybe they, they are not sleeping very well, but within a few days it tends to kind of stop. Uh, depression, by definition, has to go on for at least two weeks. And so, again, like I said, these are symptoms that are, you know, and they can range from sort of mild kind of depressive symptoms to, to more severe. So, so Kathy, when, when you're meeting with moms as a lactation consultant and they start talking to you about postpartum depression, um, what, what are your first steps for kind of looking into treatment to dealing with the symptoms that they're describing to you? I think one of the first things we have to do is we have to kind of figure out what's going on with her. You know, what is it that's kind of, you know, difficult for you right now? And oftentimes, you know, and I, I heard that in the stories from the, the moms in your studio, you know, that oftentimes it's, you know, that their support is kind of suddenly withdrawn from them, you know, and they're all kind of like one week postpartum and they're sort of fending for themselves. And that's a very kind of typical thing that kind of happens in, in American culture, but it's something that's really weird when you look at it kind of in the world perspective. Because, you know, even countries that are a lot lower income than ours, uh, you find actually that they do a lot better job of kind of supporting new mothers. And again, you know, mothers feeling like, you know, they, they can't do anything right or breastfeeding is not going very well or they're just sort of overwhelmed with the sudden responsibility of, of you know, being 24-7 care for this, you know, helpless little creature. Um, you know, so that could be, you know, when I kind of find out what kind of stuff is going on. Because again, a lot of it's just kind of environmental. You know, maybe we can get some things in place that will help that, you know, and maybe help kind of head it off. Now, the other thing I try to kind of get a handle on when I talk to moms is just kind of where they are in terms of how severe are these symptoms. They're worried about how this is going to impact breastfeeding. You know, and unfortunately, mothers still get told to wean you know, if they've been diagnosed with depression. I think that's happening less often than it used to. It used to be pretty much standard. Um, but oftentimes, you know, their moms are being kind of told they need to wean their babies. And again, I want to kind of get an idea. You know, if she's having breastfeeding problems, hey, let's make sure she's got good breastfeeding support. You know, uh, if she's very socially isolated, okay, what kind of things can we do about that? Uh, but does she have a family history? Does she have a severe history of depression? You know, that might be, you know, something that would maybe govern a different choice. Uh, so again, like I said, my what I always have kind of vision my role to being is just offering her options and kind of you know, again sure. not trying to sort of diagnose and treat, but saying you know here are some options that you can look at you know that have good evidence, uh, and here's kind of where you can find out information about those, and also you know then you kind of got to figure out what you got to do because again I think it's very important we have the mothers buy into whatever you know treatment modality uh, is involved. Absolutely. Well, it doesn't make sense if there's no buy-in because then it's not going to help anyway. So Absolutely. And Nancy, in one of your articles on your website, um, the uppityscienceschick.com, you mentioned several non-drug treatments that can be helpful with treating postpartum depression. And so I would love to go through each of these. Um, okay. The omega-3 fatty acids, bright light therapy, exercise, St. John's wort, and psychotherapy. So okay. um, if we can start with the omega-3 fatty acids, what is it about these fatty acids that help with postpartum depression and and, um, and are all omega-3s the same? Uh, no, actually, they aren't. That's a very good question. Uh, what we really need to be looking at is the long-chain omega-3 fatty acids. And so for treating depression, what we're looking at is actually at EPA. 
And again, unfortunately, that means that it's, you know, flaxseed, which is an omega-3 fatty acid, it's the parent fatty acid, is not anti-inflammatory enough. That's really kind of the problem. So the EPA, so far, the only source we have for that is fish products. And that's kind of a shame in some ways because, you know, I work with a lot of moms who are vegetarians. Um, but that's the thing that kind of treats it. And what it basically does is it addresses um, the inflammatory aspect of depression. Uh, we actually know that there's an underlying inflammation that happens in depression, and omega-3s, actually all these treatments for depression actually address that underlying inflammation. Uh, but specifically, omega-3s do that. Uh, and again, many of our mothers are very deficient in these because we don't get a lot of them in our diets anymore. Uh, and we do get this sort of very pro-inflammatory omega-6s, which are vegetable oils, so they're in everything. You know, they're anything with mayonnaise, salad dressing, any kind of commercial baked good. Uh, we get these pro-inflammatory oils, and we get very little of the anti-inflammatory. Uh, so again, we do know that they're helpful for prevention. They also seem to be very helpful for treatment. Okay. And um, what about bright light therapy? What what exactly is this and how does it help treat postpartum depression? Well, it's uh, got a very long history of treating depression that's that, you know caused by seasonal changes. You know, it, it really has to do with how early in the day you're exposed to bright light. Uh, and so again, in places where, you know, say it doesn't get light until like up, I was up in Anchorage, Alaska in January. <laughs> yeah. Definitely not a good time to visit. Yeah. But 10 o'clock in the morning and it's still pitch black. Yeah. You know, and it's like, it's not surprising that a lot of people there have depression because again, it has to do with, you know, sort of when they're exposed to kind of light. And so bright light is actually a really helpful treatment for seasonal depression. And we find actually that it's as effective as medications. There's been a ton of clinical trials. Recently, it's been used to treat postpartum, you know, and we, we have some case studies. And from what I understand, there is a big trial in the works. Uh, and so what it basically does is it, you know, again, it changes circadian rhythms. Uh, and it actually, again, like I said, it, you get uh, bright light exposure at what they call the early dawn interval. And that seems to alleviate symptoms of depression. And where they've been using it with postpartum is either by itself or sometimes in combination with medication. Like if medication's not really quite getting the treatment for depression, they may add bright light therapy. And a lot of people like it because, you know, there's really no impact at all on the, you know, if they use it during pregnancy or breastfeeding on the baby. Sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's no negative. <laughs> right. There's no negatives to it. That's perfect. Okay. And how about exercise? How often do you recommend mothers with postpartum depression to exercise per week? And does it matter what type of exercise? Are we looking at strength versus cardio or combination of both? Well, um, the, the, the thing we see the best track record with is actually cardio. Um, and again, like I said, the, the amount that the mom has to exercise really depends on how depressed she is. You know, for mild to moderate depression, we're probably talking about two to three times a week, 20 to 30 minutes at a crack, you know, at sort of moderate intensity. You know, so it, it doesn't have to be something that's really intense. I think actually that's quite doable for a lot of moms. And when I've gone around to different places in the country, they've, t they've told me that since I've been there, they started a program for their moms where they get them all together and they go out and they, you know, go outside, they go exercise, they're taking omega-3s, and they said they found that their depression rates actually have dropped quite a bit. You know, it's a good kind of preventative um, but for major depression, what you're really looking at is something more intense. You're looking probably, you know, four to five times a week, probably, you know, anywhere from 45 minutes to 60 minutes. And again, the study, the two studies that have looked at it with major depression uh, actually found it was as effective as Zoloft. Wow. And so again, you know, sometimes people think, oh, yeah, well, you can't, you know, you can't use exercise for depression. Well, yes, you can. You know, and these two studies came out of the Duke University Medical Center. They were really good randomized clinical trials uh, and put exercise head-to-head -head with Zoloft. So it does definitely work. But that's actually a fairly intense amount. 
And so, again, it really, this is where the buy-in kind of comes, becomes important because, sure. you know, if you're depressed and somebody tells you to exercise, that is honestly the last thing you feel like doing. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, moms have to be kind of motivated to try that. Uh, and, again, like I said, recognizing that it is going to probably take them, um, it's going to be a little more intense, you know, so they're going to have to make a commitment to do it. Okay. Um, and then psychotherapy, what, what recommendations do you have for a particular type of therapy? Um, and what tends to, is, are, is there one that tends to work the best? Well, there's two that I talk a lot about with, with postpartum depression, um, kind of the sort of, you know, the big, you know, the big poo of depression um, treatment is cognitive behavioral therapy. You know, again, very long track record. Um, it really caused kind of a revolution in psychology and psychiatry in the 70s because it's the first time that really depression responded quickly to treatment, to talk therapy. You know, and basically it's kind of based on the idea that it, uh, you pay attention to those little cognitions or beliefs that are sort of always running as the little tape, you know, in the back of your head. You know, the thing says, I can't believe you did this. You know, what makes you think you could be a good mother? You know, look at what you did. You know, you took 10, you know, 10 seconds to get to your baby. Now, what kind of mother does that? <laughs> and basically, it's teaching, you know, a lot of times that little voice is going on. We're not even paying attention to it, but it's impacting our mood. And so what cognitive behavioral therapy does is says, hey, wait a second, is that true? You know, and challenges that, you know, and kind of teaches you ways to maybe think about things differently. And it's very, very powerful. Okay, so again, like I said, that's been used very effectively with depression kind of in general. Uh, the one I think that we're going to see kind of almost outstrip that one in terms of using particularly with perinatal women is something called interpersonal psychotherapy. And it's, it's got some similarities to cognitive behavioral therapy. It tends to be kind of a short-term treatment. And again, it doesn't try to get into kind of all the sort of background that the mom kind of brings. It really is very focused. And it's focused on mother's social support you know, and her social relationships and how she can get more support. Because, again, you may find, you know, times when mothers go through this sort of transition to motherhood, they may be the only one that they know that's a mom. And so interpersonal psychotherapy would be like helping her, like, find other mothers that she can hang out with. You know, and how do you get kind of support from people? You know, it could be how do you get support from your partner, you know, from others in your family, you know. And so it gives you some kind of skills. Uh, and it's been extremely effective, even with very high-risk mothers. Uh, you know, they've done it during pregnancy, and they've actually done it postpartum and found it was actually even preventative of postpartum depression. Wow. So I think we're going to really see uh, that one become kind of the treatment of choice, the psychotherapy of choice. Uh, but both are actually really effective. Okay. And last one I wanted to touch upon before we ask our panelists what kind of they, they sought out is um, St. John's wort. Um, yeah. What is this? Why is it effective? And can you take it while you're pregnant? And obviously you can take it while you're breastfeeding because otherwise you wouldn't be recommending it. But um, ha how does it work? Well, <laughs> St. John's wort, I, first of all, I'll just say that it's the most widely prescribed antidepressant in the world. And so when people kind of say, oh, well, you know, it's just a plant, you know, it's like, it's really kind of, again, kind of ignorant in terms of what goes on in the rest of the world. Uh, it, you know, it, it's, it has a very, very long history. Um, you know, one country that has used it really kind of constantly is Germany. Uh, it never, the herbal medicine never really sort of died out there the way it did here. And so it gets kind of used alongside, um, you know, sort of more 
you know, standards kind of allopathic treatments. You know, herbal medications and herbal, you know, treatments have a very long history there. So a lot of the original research out of, out of this actually was published in German. Uh, now we're actually seeing, you know, of course, you know, there's been this huge consumer demand, uh, you know, in the United States. So we're seeing more kind of English kind of articles come out. But we do have a very long history about it. Um, but the one thing about St. John's Wort is it drives people kind of nuts because they're not exactly sure why it works. Um, <laughs> you know, for a while we thought that the main constituent for St. John's Wort was something called hyperacin. And so all the medications are actually standardized to that. But then they kind of came back later and they said, well, no, no, it's not hyperacin. It's something called hyperforin. Okay. <laughs> so now we look at hyperforin. And hyperforin does have definitely some antidepressant, you know, parts. I mean, the way it works. Um, reality, it's, an, you know, the, the botanicals, actually, I think one of their strengths is that oftentimes there's a synergy between the different elements. Uh, but one thing that's really kind of interesting about hyperforin is hyperforin is a very strongly anti-inflammatory. Uh, and it's been used actually in a lot of other applications because of that. And again, we never thought that that, you know, we knew it was actually anti-inflammatory. We just didn't think it had anything to do with why it works. But now we actually know better. Uh, it does seem to also have some similar functions in terms of raising norepinephrine and serotonin levels, which is, you know, very similar to what, uh, you know, more standard medications do. Uh, but it does, you know, it, it seems to have kind of more of a synergistic effect. And I will tell you this, you know, most herbalists will tell you it's really kind of preferred for more mild to moderate depression, not necessarily major depression. Okay. Uh, and it, oftentimes it gets used in combination with other things. You know, we tend to sort of swap it out. We say, okay, well, you, instead of taking Zoloft, you can take this. You know, and it's a little kind of different use. And in studies, it's been used with major depression, and it does seem to work. And the comment you hear from, from people is, you know, in the studies is, you know, they, they said, well, you know, it's as effective, you know, and it's been compared to Paxil and Zoloft in different studies, as effective and the patients liked it better. You know, so it has a much better side effect profile. But you still have to be careful with it. You know, the, the thing that's a little scary is moms going in and buying it uh, and not talking to their healthcare provider about it because it can interact with any other prescription meds that she's on. And so it's just important, you know, that we recognize that it is a medication. And just because just it's natural doesn't mean that you can take as much <laughs> as you want. Yeah. You know, lots of things are natural. Arsenic's natural. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, it just... <laughs> but it does have very good medicinal properties. So, it, you know, it does work. It's quite effective. Okay, wonderful. Um, thank you for breaking those down so nicely and so succinctly. That was perfect. Um, ladies, I would love to ask you, um, were, did you try any of these treatments? Um, were any of them recommended to you? Um, and if so, did any of them work? Um, Corinne, do you mind starting? Sure. Unfortunately for me, about it took about a week for me to realize that I was having postpartum depression and anxiety and at that time I was not able to reach out to anyone to ask for help and so I didn't call my care provider. Um, the only person I called were uh, the people I called were my parents and so I didn't try any of these. I was also not quite healed enough to where I could exercise. That's usually my go-to when I start feeling depressed. I have a history of major depressive disorder and so I was unable to exercise. I wasn't healing and so I, unfortunately, I wasn't able to try any of these. Sure. Well, and it's hard, too, because most of you had mentioned that you really started noticing this setting in in the first week or two, and that would not be a time to start the exercise until you're at least cleared after about six weeks and possibly even later, depending on what the birth looked like. Um, how about you, Ashley? I had some of the same issues with the healing of um, and the lack of exercise, but I inadvertently tried fatty acids. Um, I... My daughter had a, uh, a milk allergy, an egg allergy, so I cut out cereal on eggs, which was what I was living on because I'd had a C-section and I was just 
you know, so I cut out basically my main food source. So I had, you know, I was already depleted on nutrition and just feeling really, really bad. And um, my lactation consultant said, hey, you know, if we want to build up the, the, the richness of your milk, take some fish oil caplets. And I, I realized that in a couple of days I started feeling a little more energetic and I didn't make that connection until I started doing some research. And I realized, you know, maybe this is something that I should look into and um, then once I was a little healed more um, I did the bright light therapy and exercise kind of together um, in the morning I, w- we, I would just take her outside if she was getting fussy um, we would just walk around in the backyard and kind of just enjoy the trees and she loves being outside so um, it was kind of a natural integration like I didn't really think about it I just things started to come to me a little bit naturally that okay I just need to get out of the house like because I have I have um, anxiety too I've had it all my life so I was just like I need to get out of the house and so I just went outside and I walked outside and you know I started to notice you know that started to help um ultimately I did I had to go on Zoloft because my anxiety kind of came back when I started back to nursing school but um the those help the the fatty acids I recommend them to everybody that that helped me just within a couple days that's amazing how about you Molly um, for me, I knew that I was going to have depression. I you know, had a history of depression and anxiety, so I actually encapsulated my placenta prior to my first birth. Um, so I was taking those, um, and I, my husband instantly could tell if I had missed pills. He'd go, you know, <laughs> have you taken your pills? No, go take some. Because it was, I mean, it was that instantly. Um, but I also found a support group. I went to Robin's um, boob group support group, and that was a huge help to have other moms to talk to who had been there who, you know, understood and as opposed to talking to my mom who had never had problems with breastfeeding twins and and being told that, you know, I had no problems with you and I was having problems. And so I I found support group incredibly helpful. And I mean, I still have friends that I am in contact with now. Um, I did do some of the fatty acids um, because I was eating not the greatest foods. So I started taking some fatty acids and that helped as well. Um, So those were the ones that worked for me. I did do a little bit of exercise when I got cleared, but it wasn't until obviously later. Yeah. So how about you, Krista? Well, I noticed it early on, but actually getting treatment took a while. And I did start um, trying to search for resources almost, almost immediately because um, my training is in psychology. So I kind of had a sense of what what was happening but it is more difficult when you're in that state of course to to find everything and my son actually was born um just a week a, a week and a day ago seven yeah. seven years ago but yeah. um around the holiday time it's also Stress. stressful and more difficult to find resources because they're not always around around yeah so um <clears throat> I went and saw two psychiatrists, three therapists. I went to two lactation support groups, which actually did get me out of the house. I, one of the psychiatrists recommended that I go outside in the mornings, so that was my light therapy, and also to shut down um, TV and computer electronic type equipment after a certain time in the evenings, so that I could. Um, regulate my sleep schedule. Sure. The therapy, I the the first therapist was a no go. The second therapist was perfect. She actually does. Um, it, it's actually work for trauma. And I didn't have a traumatic birth, but I did have trauma from uh, emotional trauma. Actually, from the birth, it wasn't um, what you would call a physically traumatic birth, but. Um, 
so she did um, it's called alternative integrative therapy and it works with energy psychology and um, another form is um, emotional freedom technique mm -hmm. which um, basically integrates the body and the mind and it actually doesn't have to go through the cognitive piece and I received relief in one session wow one session so I was pretty amazed and continued and I could bring my baby with me so he was he was able to come to the sessions and nurse and and basically you know sustain all the supports that I'd gotten with the lactation and and so it was it was just a beautiful thing that came together the exercise not so much I ended up having um I wasn't fully recovered for seven weeks so yeah Okay, thank you so much. Um, yes, Ashley, you um, want to add something? I have one comment on the therapy. That when I did seek out therapy, I um, I went to a therapist, and she said, "Oh, you need you probably need to go talk to like you know more an upper level therapist." So then I went to like a medical like to my doctor's office, and then she said, "Well, you, now you need to go to a psychologist." And he said, "Well, you need to go to a psychiatrist." So I had had that issue with, and I was just overwhelmed. So I said, "You know what? Never mind." I'm not, I'm not doing it. So then it got worse um, because it just, it was overwhelming to have to go in and out of all these offices and no one, everyone was just like, well, write down all your information on this form and then we'll diagnose you. And it was totally, I mean, it, her saying that she went to three different, it was really overwhelming. So I'm glad that there were natural alternatives. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and well, oh, go ahead, and, Krista. and the nutrition piece that you mentioned, I mean, I had to do something similar. My my son also had uh, problems with with dairy in my diet, and I'm already vegetarian, so I had to cut out dairy, which um, was a huge protein was, source. <laughs> was a, was was so I had to adapt, and and some of the the physical depletion is just immense. Yeah. <laughs> And you're you're just had a baby. You're not gonna cook some amazing meals. No. Yeah, I I got some vegan protein shakes and just put them in shaker cups at the beginning of the day and just had them set out. And I lived on that basically. Yeah, I think that goes back to also what Kathy was talking about how the support system of setting up where people actually are bringing food so that way I mean wh what other culture requires that a mom's cooking her own meal a week after her birth except right. ours <laughs> um, MJ you you had a, a virtual panelist want to share something yeah Leslie Evans um, commented about um, postpartum depression runs in my family so I took a proactive approach and encapsulated my placenta like Molly was talking about she said she didn't feel a wink of postpartum depression or the baby blues not to mention that it actually helped her milk Come in quicker. So. Awesome. My milk came in really quick when I had Riley. Um, I knew Riley had we knew was going to have some issues when she was born, and she was put into the NICU instantly. And so I had my placenta pills from my first birth with me, and I took them instantly. And the nurses kept going when I was pumping, going, "Why? Why do you have so much milk? Where are you getting this milk?" And I said, "Well, I took my I took my placenta pills," and they looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> but it, I mean, I literally had milk like the next day. And it was it was it was amazing, and it was that was probably the best thing for my body was to take those pills. Kathy, is there any research on that? Uh, absolutely none, and that I think is actually kind of what we need to need to see. There, uh, you know what what we really need to see is like a double blind trial. Sure. Yeah. 
you know, where people are taking capsules, but they don't know what, what's in them. Yeah. Um, that's actually, the, that's kind of the low, and we, we have not ever, yeah, there's not been anything like this. Because, you know, the, the people have been talking about this for a while. Um, but, yeah, that's, uh, I would like to see that kind of level of research on that. It wouldn't actually be that hard to do. I know, right? <laughs> so, okay, well, when we come back, um, Kathy is going to be talking about um, recommendations when considering prescription medications, so if they are necessary. So we'll be right back. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. All right, well, welcome back to the show. We are here with Kathleen Kendall-Tackett, an international board-certified lactation consultant, and um, and a plethora of other things. And um, we are talking about postpartum depression and breastfeeding-friendly treatments. So, Kathy, um, how long would you recommend that a mother try these non-drug treatments before considering prescription medication? And, and what might be some signs that medication is actually necessary? Well, again, it kind of goes back to, you know, where the mother is. You know, one of the things I always kind of try to ask is, you know, again, like I said, I used to get, especially, you know, back before we had all these nice resources on the Internet, I used to get quite a few referrals from the Leche League. Uh, and, you know, mothers were asking kind of what were their options. And so, again, like I said, I always tried to kind of take her where she was. But there's a couple of things you want to kind of find out is, first of all, you know, how severe is her depression? Because if you're dealing with a really severe depression, you probably need medication. Um, you know, again, like I said, unless the mother is absolutely adamantly opposed to it. Uh, it. It's just, you know, I think that that's probably the safest course to take. Uh, but if you have somebody who's maybe kind of a little more on the mild to moderate range, she does have a few more options. Uh, but you may also have a mom who immediately wants to start medication. Either she has a history of using them or she just really feels that that's the right. You know, so it, it, there isn't a kind of a hard and fast rule about that. Uh, I think it is important, though, that we listen to what the mom has to say about her feelings about medications. You know, because we talk about a placebo effect. Well, there's a nocebo effect where actually people can actually make themselves sick you know, from doing something against their will. Uh, and I saw that very clearly in a mom one time. She she was really terrified that her job, and she was very vague about her job, but, you know, I, I gathered it was something in kind of military where having, you know, a, an antidepressant on your sheet would actually really hurt her chance for job promotion. So she was terrified about that. Anyway, they finally talked her into taking some medication. You know, she, she took one effect sore, and she ended up with every single side effect. I mean, she was making herself sick. You know, and it's like, clearly that's not going to help her. And in fact, she was so upset about that that she just dumped the rest of them down the toilet. And here's the problem. She's still depressed. You know, so again, it really kind of depends on how the mom feels. You know, but what I don't want to ever see happen is a mom who feels like she has to run through all the alternative stuff before she starts medication. You know, if she feels like the medication is the right choice for her, that's the one she should be on. You know, and so, again, it really kind of depends on kind of where she's at. And so, you know, one of the things I've kind of suggested to moms sometimes is, like, let's say they don't want to be on medication, you know, but because a lot of times people will tell them, well, if you're on this, you're going to have to be on it forever. Well, that's not necessarily true. You know, so, again, you can kind of sometimes take an approach where you say, okay, you know, let's do a short course of this. You know, let's think about a short course of this, and then we'll check back in with you in three months and see where you are. 
you know, and then maybe we can, you know, in the meantime, get social support in place, get omega-3s, you know, maybe start some, you know, some short-term therapy. I mean, these are all kinds of things that can be helpful. So, again, like I said, there isn't kind of a, a hard and fast rule, you know, except if a mom is very severely depressed. And then I think, you know, the options are more limited. Well, I think now, I mean, even just to mention now that the insurance is changing as well, because that was the one thing I <laughs> I had a problem with when I was looking into medication was it, it red flags you for five years. It follows you. And every yeah. time you're looking for a doctor, they're like, oh, so you have depression and um and it makes things really challenging but i guess now that there are no um what what's the word i'm looking for um the pre- thank you yes conditions. pre-existing conditions yeah. now it's not such a big deal so that actually that might open it up for moms to actually feel a little bit more comfortable unless like you mentioned with a job well and we've got a lot of medications that have gone to generic and so that i think helps too because you know a lot of people can't swing 70 80 bucks a month for medication yeah that was one of my concerns yeah that was one of my concerns with riley because I, I can feel my depression coming back. We're having some issues and, and you know, having to pay $80 a month for meds. It's like, it's yeah. it's not in our budget right now. And I've been trying everything I can. And it's just, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you have to bite the bullet. And, you know, just thinking of having to pay the extra money has made it the depression worse. Cause it's like, you know, you're right. just going in a circle and, and it's just now it's coming to the point where it's like, okay, we're going to have to just do it and figure out where to make cuts somewhere else. Obviously we have breastfeeding moms in here. And yeah. so how safe are these medications to take while breastfeeding? You know, this is actually one thing that, you know, I'm not casual ever about taking medication, especially when you're talking about exposing a baby to it. But in terms of, you know, comparing it to like taking antidepressants during pregnancy, uh, this is, you know, a whole nother level of, you know, sort of removal for that the baby is getting. Uh, so it really is, I won't say, I won't say safe because we never can 100% say that, but it's about as safe as it can be. Okay. And are there certain ones more than the other? Yes. Um, the ones you really want are the ones that, you know, when they break down in the, in the mother's body, um, that they don't become, they're not active components themselves, you know, because the baby gets more exposure to that. So to give you an example, you know, citalopram is, you know, or Celexa, uh, the, the, the generic name for that is citalopram. Well, one of the things that citalopram breaks down to is something called e-citalopram, which is Lexapro. So basically that medication breaks into another antidepressant. And so the baby's going to get more exposure that way. So that's one of the reasons why Lexapro is actually a better choice than Celexa because when it breaks down, it doesn't break down into another antidepressant. And so when you Celexa, Paxil, and Zoloft, those are the ones that really have that kind of low level of exposure for the babies. Um, now, Prozac is another one that it, it actually has a lot of exposure for the baby, um, you know, 10 to, 20, 10 to 17% of the mother's dose. But it's been around for like 30 years, and so we have this very long track record with it. And so, again, if a mom can only take that medication, uh, it does appear to be, you know, relatively safe. I mean, you don't see very long-term effects of that. Uh, I would probably lean more toward one of the other ones because the amount of exposure that the babies get in that is like less than 1% of the mother's dose. And many of those are not even showing up in the baby's plasma. You know, it may be in the milk, but it doesn't show up in the baby's plasma. And so then all of a sudden, that whole issue of long-term effects really is kind of off the table because the baby's not being exposed to it. You know, the chance of long-term effects are actually are really, really slim. Okay. So those would be the ones I'd kind of head toward. Okay. Um, ladies, for those of you who ended up using medication, um, did you find that, that that was a helpful treatment as well? How about you, Ashley? Yeah, definitely. Um, the depression had lessened a little bit, but the, my anxiety had kind of tripled. And um, I just couldn't get a handle. And my my uh, significant other went out of town 
then for a month for work and I had just started back to nursing school and um, it, it was just crazy and um, I went on the Zoloft and finally what got me because I was real like no I can do this by myself I don't need any help I don't want to hurt my baby you know and um, finally um, my therapist at school just told me the effects of you being anxious and uptight and and unhealthy um, are probably more detrimental to her than this medication would be and that as soon as that got in my head I'm just like this uh, is this yeah. is a better thing for her, for me to be leveled out and for me to really get back to being myself for her is probably better than, you know, worrying about the side effects that, you know, everyone is telling me. Absolutely. That's a, I think your therapist gave you very good advice there. Corinne, did you end up using medication? I didn't. By the time I finally saw a therapist, I was feeling much better and we discussed what it would take to get me at what point I would go back on medication. I had been on it uh, about 10 years ago, and I said that if I got to the point that I was when Abigail was about three or four weeks old, that I would absolutely consider going back on medication. Okay, but you ended up not needing it. No. Okay. How about you, Molly? I never did take it with Abigail. Um, looking into taking it with Riley, um, but she, and she's eight months old, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. Okay. And how about you, Krista? Did you ever need medication? It was prescribed to me, but I never ended up taking it, and um, I attribute that <clears throat> to a large part because of the combination of the therapy that worked immediately and um, continuing to breastfeed, even though the psychiatrist's recommendations were actually to do some form of night weaning mm-hmm. so that I could get more sleep, get more sleep. and I absolutely didn't want to do that. And... Um, Having um, my little boy co-sleep with us um, Mm -hmm. and being able to breastfeed while laying down was what made me be able to actually get more sleep. Mm -hmm. And we did try one night with a postpartum doula coming in so that I would know that he was taking care taken care of and I did I I, I was awake (laughs) more yeah Yeah. I I knew he was okay but it didn't help me sleep yeah (laughs) Kathy do you see that a lot I know you your Proclaris Press actually just um has has a book now on co-sleeping and and things like that we've actually had Wendy on our show and so are you seeing that that is helpful for moms who have postpartum depression as well it absolutely is, and unfortunately, the psychiatrist advice um, is uh, unfortunately common, but it's 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 off base. We had we've had a bunch of studies in the last like probably four years that have actually shown that exclusively breastfeeding mothers get significantly more sleep, uh, even though they wake more. They it takes them less time to get to sleep, and they tend to go into deeper sleep, and so they're actually getting better sleep. And so we found that in our study, we had 6,410 moms in our study. And we, we asked them a whole bunch of questions about, you know, you know, how much sleep do you report that you're getting? How much, you know, how, how many minutes does it take to fall asleep? I mean, all these variables. And then we asked them about, you know, how much energy do you have during the day? You know, um, physically, how do you feel? Uh, and the exclusively breastfeeding mothers far and away were significantly different. And what was interesting is the mixed and the formula feeding mothers were not significantly different on any measure. You know, I, I thought what we were going to see is kind of like a dose-response effect, that, you know, that the more breastfeeding, the better they, the variables looked. The mixed feeding group did not look significantly different than the formula feeding group. And wow. unfortunately, the advice is, you know, if you just supplement, 
But everything that we've seen in all these studies, and there was a big one that was published in the journal Sleep, and it found the kind of same thing. The minute you start supplementing, the sleep quality actually decreases, and the mothers get less sleep. You know, so it's really not good advice. What were you going to say, Krista? Well, I was going to say I was actually told to to pump instead of yeah. breastfeeding. <laughs> and I, well, right. I mean, <laughs> that's way more stress. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you have to get out well, of bed. And and yeah. I, I give my hands up to women who are exclusive pumpers for whatever reason that they have to. You know, I that to me is super mom. Yeah. Because, but like. Like she said about the co-sleeping, as soon as we got side laying nursing down, mm-hmm. I yeah. felt so much more, so much better. Because even before then, I, you know, one night I was, you know, really, really depressed and just over, I hate to say this, but I was just over it. And um, I had her dad give her a bottle and the whole time I just felt like a failure. Like, yeah. oh my, like, and so, you know, it makes it worse when you think about taking them off the breast it's that's the only thing that's keeping me in touch with this little baby right now don't take that away from right. me uh, thank you so much kathy and to our panelists as well for sharing this incredibly valuable information about breastfeeding friendly treatment for postpartum depression and for our boob group club members our conversation will continue after the end of the show as kathy will discuss what a mom can do if her doctor is saying that she must wean her baby before taking medication for postpartum depression so for more information on our boob group club please visit our website at theboobgroup.com. Before we wrap things up, here's Lara Adello talking about ways to overcome societal booby traps. Hi, Boob Group listeners. I'm Lara Adello, a certified lactation educator, volunteer at Best for Babes, and author of The Virtual Breastfeeding Culture. I'm here to answer some of your most common questions about how you can achieve your personal breastfeeding goals without being undermined by cultural and institutional booby traps. Such as, what do you do when you get bad advice at the pharmacy counter? You may know that nursing moms often get poor advice from providers about medications, but did you know that the professionals responsible for knowing all about medications and dispensing them may pose a booby trap too? A 2007 study of two large retail pharmacy chain databases examine the recommendations for use of 14 commonly prescribed medications. The findings were that pharmacists were using outdated sources for making safety recommendations to their breastfeeding patients, a practice which, quote, may result in many women being inappropriately advised to stop breastfeeding. For a drugs considered unequivocally safe, the two retail pharmacy databases inappropriately advised mothers to stop nursing at least 75% of the time. For example, the authors found conflicting advice when they reviewed recommendations for a common gastric reflux medication. Dr. Thomas Hale's medication and mother's milk rated the risk at the lowest, level one, meaning it's the safest. The databases commonly used by pharmacists rated it, infant risk cannot be ruled out, safety unknown, check with physician or pharmacist, unknown whether it enters milk, and absolute contraindication. Think, think of you mothers, have been told to stop breastfeeding to take this drug? Dr. Melissa Bartik, co-author of the study, explained a common mindset among pharmacists when confronted with a nursing mother. Often the pharmacists and clinicians mistakenly think that if one doesn't know the safety information for drugs, it's safest to advise the patient to stop breastfeeding. We need to replace the assumption, when in doubt, don't breastfeed, with the mandate, when in doubt, look it up in a reliable source. Special thank you to Tanya Lieberman, IBCLC, for writing the Booby Trap series for Best for Babes. Visit bestforbabes.org 
For more great information about how to meet your personal breastfeeding goals, in my book, The Virtual Breastfeeding Culture, for a collection of breastfeeding stories. And be sure to listen to The Boob Group for fantastic conversations about breastfeeding and breastfeeding support. That wraps up our show for today. We appreciate you listening to The Boob Group. Don't forget to check out our sister shows, Preggy Pals for Expecting Parents, Parent Savers for Moms and Dads with Newborns, Infants, and Toddlers, and Twin Talks, our brand new show, Dealing with Life with the Twins. So, and all in honor of Sunny for having her twins. (laughs) Thanks for listening to The Boob Group, your judgment-free breastfeeding resource. This has been a new Mommy Media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.